0: Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton.
1: What is going on everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Everton College Basketball Podcast episode 134 and like the podcast episode says it is rivalry week. We've all seen a rivalry game that's happened yesterday and we got a couple big ones to talk about this Saturday but before we get to all of that my name is Peyton Burton and with me I got a couple of my teammates here. I got Josh Burton and we got Cory Garner. What is going on everybody? What's going on? It man? is Happy nice to be,
2: to be here. It's not yeah, it's nice to be here midweek. Um this is the first of many episodes midweek that it'll be Peyton's takeover. He will be steering the ship, so it's nice to kind of play a co-host spot here. But yeah, man, I am uh ready to talk some hoops.
1: Yes, sir. And like always, this podcast is presented by House to Enterprise and in part with House of College Troops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. Make sure you check out everybody at House of College Troops. That's the brand that we're under this year. Um, always good to hear from them. Josh was actually used on one of their shows. It was about a week ago he was on the show with Jake and um, I forgot the other dude's name. but Sam. um. Yeah, Sam, that's who it is. I can't think of his name, but you yeah, was it was a good episode. Make sure you go check that out. And uh, also, just like this, we started the you off was still presented by Beauty to breeze Nutrition. Josh, why don't you let them know if they want if they're in load uh, if in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. What's the best spot to go to get any type of like teas or really get your boost for the day?
2: Yeah, uh, you will stop into Beauty to Beast Nutrition, as Peyton mentioned, located in beautiful downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It is a healthy juice bar that means you can stop in and get your boosted teas. You can get your protein coffees. You can get your healthy smoothies. You can add like I did last week. You can add a shot of protein to it. It is all good for you. It cuts out most of the sugar and all the nasty stuff that you'd get at the big chains. And they're local good people. Stop in and tell them that ECB sent you for ten percent off your entire purchase.
1: And let's before we get into talking about all the stuff that we have on docket today, I just want y'all to introduce me as the horse champion, considering that we went to play ball a couple of days ago. And you know, I started off. I haven't played basketball in probably like. Four or five months, haven't really shot the basketball at all in a very long time. So I was a little bit rusty to start off, played a couple games of 21. I'm sure Corey and Josh are glowing about how they each won a game of 21, but who gives a shit about that. Um, but we played to end the night, to end our basketball endeavors, we would play the game of horse, and I started off very poorly. I got off with the H-O-R very quickly. Corey, of course, just like normal, like he does every week, uh, he was talking shit to me. How about I was going to be like a Louisville player and can't hit shots, blah, blah, blah. And how he was going to gloat about on the podcast. Well, guess what? This dude was the first one out. And then I knocked Josh off, ended up winning the game. So I'm in a good mood today.
2: Corey, it is just, I mean, he has nothing else to cheer for when it comes to to louisville this year so i talking about coming back from being down to a whore and i'll let that joke play itself out to <laughs> knock us both out so i guess we'll give him this one thing to cheer for
0: yeah no i mean absolutely i mean he's got a sub 300 team to root for and his performance in 21 was sub 300 i mean he got held scoreless in the game that i won and i think what he had a couple points in the one you won so i mean we'll, we'll let him have the horse game you know we got every blind squirrel finds a nut and you know we gotta we gotta let it's like it's like
2: it it was like make a wish by that point because you and I have been working out for so long and
0: it was the last
2: game and we said ah let's give Peyton something to smile about to go home happy
0: I was gonna say what he failed to mention is you and I were there for like an hour to hour and a half before he finally showed up so you know we had already gotten our legs you know plenty tired and you know, it was like when we were missing stuff short. It's like you know, he's, he wanted to call us out on. It's like, hey, I'm sorry that we got our work in. Like, you know, it's no big deal. <laughs> but listen,
2: let him man, have it. let's call Horse King.
1: Yeah, yeah. call him the horse king. Listen, man. Yeah. Um, just like Travis Kelsey said to the Cincinnati mayor, know your damn well and shut your damn mouth, you little jabronis." All right. So before we get into the show, <laughs> I got a question. What'd for you guys. say, make a wish, get, I mean, uh, Horse King. You know what? You know what? I, no, I I've, to start this year off. I had seventy six favorite schools. Now I have seventy seven. Go Maryland, bitches! <laughs> How about them telephones? Oh, them topes? Man, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Here's. A-
0: here soon. It's no longer the field of 68. It's the Peyton 77.
1: <laughs> yes, sir. Let's go. That's great. <laughs> we got a new T-shirt, baby. Let's get it done. Will, I hope you Peyton listen to us, 77.
2: Man. That's great. I love Peyton that.
1: 77 says I just kicked your ass, all right? So let's talk about... <laughs> Let's move on with the show. Um, A question that it's not in a format, but it's something I want to ask you about. I was watching some highlights of the Baylor-Fish Arkansas game a week ago, uh, Saturday night, uh, for the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and... One of the best like commentators um, in college basketball is for Shella, especially when it comes to Big 12. And he was talking about this. He was talking about Nick Smith. I don't know when's the last time Nick Smith played a game. Um, I know he injured his knee. I uh, started the season, he was injured, and then he played some games, and then he got injured again, hasn't played since. Does he come back, or is he just buying himself his time and getting ready for the NBA draft?
2: Uh, Corey, I'll take this one first so you can collect your thoughts. Um, there's a part of me, the skeptic part, that says no, he does not come back because he's going to, regardless whether he comes back or not, he's a lottery pick. How high he, goes, I mean, he's not going to go over Victor Wimbiana, he's not going to go over Scoot Henderson, a couple of those dudes, but he's a lottery pick. So a part of me thinks he just skips and does not come back. But I do think that as we get closer to March, um, I think we see him SEC tournament just in time for the NCAA tournament, so I think he's back on SEC tournament play, and then he plays in March Madness.
0: See, so I'm a complete opposite. I think uh, I think you guys kind of mentioned it. He's at the point now where he's trying to you know compete uh, to get ready for the draft. You know, he's pretty much like you said a lottery pick. Um, I don't see him playing and really helping his stock going up, but I see him playing and hurting his stock. Um, but not being ready and you know, uh, and not being you know, up to par. So, I honestly don't think that you know, I don't think we see him again this year, in my opinion. I think you may see him let in warm ups or doing something like that, but I don't see him actually in game time. Let,
2: let me let me counter that point real quick because this is more of a question for our guy Phil, who studies the NBA draft a little bit more and our, our poll voters, uh, over at the two pointers podcast that does a lot of the NBA draft talk the NBA drafts off potential more than anything. And I don't think unless he comes back and he just can't dribble and he can't do a bunch of stuff, I think even if he comes back and he only plays limited minutes and he's not shooting the ball well, the, the NBA scouts are going to look and be like, well, we still see potential in this kid, get him in our system, and they're still going to draft him high. That's just my opinion.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think he'll be drafted high. I just don't see him raising his draft stock by coming back in my opinion so i don't think you i don't think he'll risk it
1: well, coming into the year, he was probably projected, at least according to me, and I think Phil would agree with this because, like Josh mentioned, he does most of the draft board stuff for us and really keeps up a date with who's going to get drafted high and all this stuff. Uh, Nick Smith was probably going to be the number one freshman coming out of the NBA draft that was going to get drafted this year. And now, now that he's injured and he hasn't played that much, Brandon Miller is most likely going to be the first freshman that comes out of this draft that's going to get picked. Um, if he comes back, it's still – Arkansas starting to play well. Even though they lost four in a row in early January, they've won the last three of the four and very closely almost, lost, almost beat uh, Baylor, only lost 67-64. So they're starting to play well. If Nick Smith comes back, I don't think he's going to hurt his draft stock, but I think he can actually raise his draft stock because he's still a kid that can go get you 20-plus every given night. And if they make the tournament and they can make a run... Arkansas has made the last two Elite Eights. They made back-to-back Elite Eights. And if they can do that again with the year that the, the span that they had for losing 4 row in early January, and he's the catalyst of that, I think it helps his draft stock. And keep in mind, uh,
2: February is the time that Arkansas makes their run anyways. Every oh, February yeah. is when Musselman gets that team going. So now that we're in February, it's going to be very interesting.
1: Selfishly, I hope he comes back because he's a hell of a talent, but I can understand his point of view if they decide to set him out. Um, But Arkansas, like I just mentioned, is starting to play well, and I think if they want to make a run to keep that Elite 8 streak going on, I think they're going to have to have a guy like Nick Smith come back since they don't have Trayvon Brazil, who's injured for the rest of the year. But that's – I just wanted to bring that topic up because Fanny Fischel was talking about he's on the cool side of how he shouldn't play, that he thinks he's not coming back this year. And I, I figured like that's going to cause a, a debate between a lot of fans in college basketball, and not just Arkansas fans. So I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. Moving on, though, uh, this is something I wanted to talk about last week, but I forgot to mention it. Um, watching the Kansas-Kansas State game last night, um – uh, Jay Billis and all those guys, they were talking about the, the top 20 shortlist for the winning award. Um, so I feel like it's uh, just due to talk about Coach of the Year shortlist. Who is on your shortlist to win Coach of the Year so far uh, this season? And I got I got five candidates, and I'll go ahead and go first because I'm kind of springing this on you. Um, you guys probably didn't have too much time to really think about it. So I'll go ahead with my five candidates, and this is not in any specific order. Starting off, I think Sean Miller from Xavier is on that short list. Um, right now, Xavier is setting 17-5 overall record, 9-2 and in the Big East Conference. They're the number 15th ranked team in our ECB poll. Coming into the season, I think, Josh, you did the Big East. I think you had him ranked 6th coming into this year. Or, no, the had him ranked 4th, excuse me. they had him ranked top 5 coming into this year. Um, definitely one of the best front courts in the country. Definitely a great backcourt duo between Sully Boom. Um, I think Xavier has done exceptionally well this season. I think Sean Mills is a big case of that, so he's on my list. Staying in the Big East, shock is small for Marquette. Once again, same record as Xavier, 17-5 overall, 9-2 in the Big East. The number 12 team ranked in our ECB poll. A lot of people thought that Shocker Smart probably would have took him a couple years to get Marquette rolling. Well, he's done it in year one. He's a hell of a coach, and uh, I've always loved him since his days at VCU, so he's definitely on this short list. Going to the Big 12, Jerome Tang from Kansas State, setting at 18-4, 6-3 in the Big 12 Conference. The number 6 ranked team in our ECB poll. To start the year off, I did the big, I did just do of doing the Big 12 for our Big 12 standings this year for our ECB magazine. I had Kansas State finishing dead last, as most publications did. They had them finishing pretty much dead last or around ninth. Well, the are sitting here 6 and 3 in the Big 12. Top 10 in our ECB poll, and they have a legitimate chance to win the Big 12 this year. Incredible, incredible U-1 for Jerome Tang. Hell of a coach. 100% was a right higher. He needs to be in this. Coach, you'd be assured Staying in the Big 12, let's go to Iowa State's coach, T.J. Otterberger. Hopefully I pronounced that name correctly. Um, 15-6 overall, 6-3 in the Big 12. 16th on our ECB poll. Once again, I had them finishing, I think I had them finishing 8th. In our conference predictions for the Big 12, well, they're sitting here six and three as well as Kansas State is, and has a legitimate chance of winning the Big 12 this, conf- this Big 12 conference this year. And they have not lost a single game in their own building, and that says something about how good this Iowa State team is. And lastly, Matt Painter from Purdue, sitting at the right now 21 and one, 10 and one in the Big Ten, the number one team. Not only in our ECB poll, but the number one team in the AP poll and any poll that you want to do, they're a consistent number one team. They got the National Player of the Year so far in Zach Eadie. They were projected in Phil's Big Ten rankings to finish sixth. They didn't even have, we didn't even have top five. And they're setting the consistent number one team in the country, just beating the shit out of teams and really looked impressive. So that's my shortlist.
2: I don't have any disagreements with those. Those are my exact five. And I actually think Matt Painter's leading the race, considering what they lost from last year. So I think Painter's in the lead. I have those exact same five. And I'm going to add two more real quick. I'm going to add Dusty May from Florida Atlantic. And I'm going to add Nate Oates from Alabama. Neither one expected to do what they've been doing. And I I think that seven is the seven it's going to come down to in any particular order.
0: Yeah, you took the uh, – the only one that I was going to add was Dusty May. I think what he's done at Florida Atlantic this year has been incredible. Uh, that was the only one that I was going to add. Um, besides, I, you know, and I, it hurts me to say this, but I think Curtis Painter is still the top of the list, even though Matt I'm or, <laughs> Curtis was Matt the Painter. football yeah. quarterback. Yeah, yeah. See, it's so hard to say. I can't even – like, I don't even want to say his name right. Uh, but, no, I think that's the uh, – I think he's the front runner for sure, so – in my,
1: in my opinion, Out of all those five coaches I just mentioned on my show sure list. In our ECB preseason top 25 poll, none of them was ranked in the top 25. Only one of them was getting votes, and that was Xavier. So all these coaches exceptionally deserve it, especially the two coaches that you guys mentioned. Um, exceptionally, all these coaches has definitely excelled this year. But that's the Coach of the Year shortlist. Before we move on, or before we get into talking about some of the games that's transpired so far this week, we got the privilege, or Phil had the privilege, of talking to Charleston head coach uh, Pat Kelsey, uh, great interview. He was about 12 minutes long. He did an exceptional job. As, we were supposed to do this about a week ago, but some things happened. Me and Phil was both sick. Couldn't get it done. Pat Kelsey was nice enough and kind enough to reschedule with us. And Phil did a great job with this interview. And uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Pat Kelsey interview with Phil Dexter.
3: And joining us now on the Everything College Basketball Podcast is head coach of the College of Charleston Cougars, Pat Kelsey, how you doing this morning, Pat? Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for giving us some time today. Appreciate you having me on, man. Absolutely. So, timing of the interview is a little bit unfortunate with you guys coming off the loss to Hofstra. Um, how are the guys handling that so far? You know, it's tough after a 20-game winning streak.
4: Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that's made us a really good team and that's allowed us to have the type of winning streak that we have is the same type of things are going to help us to deal with the setback and the adversity, and that's just the professional mindset and the consistency, the maturity that this team has. Uh, Didn't shock me, but yesterday we had a great day. Preparation was awesome. Uh, Energy was great in the gym, but to be honest with you, it's almost always that way with this team. Uh, They're a joy to coach, and that mindset every day uh, will continue to allow us to be a good team.
3: You know, you mentioned kind of the professional approach that a lot of your guys have. How much of that comes from Dalton and a few of the other guys being, you know, D two transfers? You have an NIA All American. How much does that experience contribute to that?
4: Well, I mean, I I don't know if it's because of the D two, D three, NAI experience. It's just the makeup of the human being. Those guys that you mentioned, um, Dalton, you know, Pat, Jalen, Ante. Uh, uh, Ryan Larson I I, I could rain Smith. I could go all the way down the line we have a very very mature team and I don't know if it's those experiences but it's just how those guys are wired Uh, we obviously pay attention to that and look for that in recruiting that type of maturity mindset toughness and those guys bring that every day
3: and you know Dalton was one of the first guys that you brought in after you were hired and then he goes down with the foot injury early on last year. How awesome has it been, not even from a basketball standpoint, from just from a personal standpoint, seeing him be able to bounce back this year and, you know, lead the team in scoring.
4: Yeah, obviously the injury last year was unfortunate, but you know, I'm a big believer that things work out for a reason. Just having him in our program last year for that year when he was out was great. For him, uh, and it was great for us. I think it allowed him to get comfortable here, to be uh, more ver- well versed in our system. But then just the example that he set every day, the leadership that he provides uh, because of his work ethic and his toughness rubbed off on some of those younger guys that were in our program. And, um, you know, to have him here this year with the makeup of this team, it's a perfect fit. And, uh, and I'm proud of him.
3: And, you know, you've always talked about being a big culture guy. Uh, I was on the CAA Media Day call before the season, and you mentioned that you felt like the second year was a little bit easier than the first year from that standpoint after you've built the culture already. But I know you were a player and a coach under Skip Prosser. How much did that approach come from your experience with him?
4: Well, so much of my approach in everything I do comes from things that I learned from Coach Prosser. I've been very lucky to have. men in my life that have poured into me for a long, long time. You know, obviously my father is, is my hero, my role model. Um, but they have other coaches in my life that have helped shape me, you mentioned um, Skip Prosser, uh, my high school coach, Joe Schoenfeld. Uh, Dino Gaudio was a mentor to me. Jeff Battle, uh, who is an assistant at, 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 at Providence. Uh, worked under um, Chris Mack. My, um, my uncle Jim Stahl was a longtime college coach and one of the most successful high school coaches in Ohio basketball history. Uh, Just, just, there's just some names and I, I I don't like to leave people out. Eddie DeCellis at the Naval Academy is, is a mentor of mine. Um, But so many of those, but you mentioned specifically Coach Prosser. He was, I was with him for a long, long time, a decade as a player and as a coach Worked with him every single day, and uh, for those people that remember him, it'll be 16 years ago this August when he passed away. I know that because my daughter was born a few days later after he passed away. Um, you know, he was he was a special person. He was uh, very authentic, very genuine. Um, uh, treated people the right way, uh, both you know in the world and in our profession. He was very very well respected, and I couldn't have asked for a better role model and teacher uh, to show me kind of how you go about your business and, and how you carry yourself, how you act as a coach. And uh, I was really fortunate and lucky to have him.
3: Yeah. Well, and certainly, you know, we've seen a lot of those things carry over to you. I, I loved a post that you had on Twitter earlier this year, shouting out your assistant coaches. There was a picture of one of them sitting with your son And uh, you just talked about how great of a man they were and uh, not even from a basketball standpoint, which is one of the things I love about you. You just seem like a genuine great guy. Um, But shifting the focus a little bit to your season going forward, you guys have a tough week this week as every week in the CAA is. Um, Got Drexel and Delaware this week, both on the road. How tough of a gauntlet is it to just run the CAA every week?
4: Well, I do want to go back to your last statement about my staff. I am. Extremely fortunate to have what I think is the best staff in the country, and I wouldn't trade them for anyone. Um, you know, the, the three phases that we talk about are the circles that our staff lives in and has to be uh, very, very good at. Great at is uh, first circle is the development of our players, that's on and off the floor. Um, second is recruiting, and third is our system, our culture, our do what we do. And those guys are all special in that regard. Um, So, you know, and then, you know, you talk about the gauntlet of conference play. That's how, that's the nature of conference play in college basketball. They are all, every one of them are street fights. Um, Each opponent knows each other very, very well. There's familiarity uh, with systems, with coaching styles. So it's, as you go through and you play teams a second time, there's, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, there's there's kind of a chess match as to adjustments that teams are going to make. So, you know, we haven't played Drexel yet this year, but we have played Delaware. We play on Saturday, but every single one. We have terrific coaches in the CAA, very good players. Um, the majority of conference games, if not all of them, are going to come down to a couple possessions and be a street fight. So we're fortunate to to have done a, a good job in the in the first part of conference season but as we turn the page to the back half um, we're gonna have to be ready every single night
3: yeah and as we approach March obviously you know the focus around the nation and college basketball kind of shifts to bracketology and looking at seating and that kind of stuff is there any focus on that for you guys like even in the back of your mind or is everything just next game up handle our business and those things will play themselves out
4: that's it that's it. I know that's not probably what you want to hear in the interview. I mean, we're all obviously cognizant of the fact that, you know, if you have a really, really, really good um, conference record and overall record, then you have a chance to have an at-large bid. But we can't do anything about uh, Selection Sunday today on January 31st, whatever it is. All we can do anything about is today's practice or my preparation here for the next several hours before practice starts. Our assistant coaches, um, spending time with our players throughout the day, getting their mindset ready. Our first repetition of the first drill, our film session today. Um, You know, you you mentioned culture and everybody uses that word. Everybody does. And I think it's because everybody has one. Um, Every organization, every restaurant, every law firm, every school, every basketball program has a culture and it's either by design or by default and we do our best to make sure it's 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 by design by being extremely intentional every day uh, about our standard upholding that standard and doing everything with excellence because when you don't do it like that your culture is by default and it just happens and usually that's um flaky you know uh uh, disorganized, undisciplined, and we never want to be that. Because if you're that as a restaurant, you're going out of business. Um, if you're that as a basketball program, you're going to lose. So that's something that that we focus on every day with everything we do.
3: Well, and so much of the important part of that culture is the guys you recruit and all that type of stuff. So you know, moving on to recruiting a little bit next year, you guys have you know one of the best recruiting classes that College of Charleston has ever brought in. Um, Isaiah Coleman and Myar Wall, two kids from the Raleigh area, and then you also have James Scott, a 6'10 kid from Fayetteville. Um, Obviously, you love the talent of all those guys, but was there a a concerted effort to build a pipeline into North Carolina with those three guys, or is that something that sort of just happened by chance with three guys that you liked?
4: Well, you know, as a program, you always want to first and foremost focus on what we call our breadbasket recruiting, and that's our area, our region, obviously, North Carolina, South Carolina, this area, this region has unbelievable amount of talent with terrific high school coaches. So uh, we're always putting an emphasis on our area, where we're from and where we're at. Um, With those three young men, you mentioned it, whatever the rankings say, we have one of the better recruiting classes uh, in the history of our conference is what they're saying out there. But, you know, Put the talent aside because the talent's there. You know, James Scott is a seven-foot, skilled, uh, fluid, runs, catches, dunks, blocks, tight big with just an unbelievable ceiling. And, you know, I, I, Isaiah Coleman is a do-it-all guard. You know, he's he's uh, can play on the ball, can play off the ball, point guard skills, um, shoots it, defends, and then Meyer Wall is just kind of like a uh, – you know, I think you refer to guys like him as a space alien because he's different. He's a six, eight, six, nine shooting guard, you know, that can really fill it up and guard multiple positions. So that's all the talent, right. And anybody can see that, but they fit, they fit the, their makeup fits us. They're about the right things. They're about team first. Um, they're selfless. They have toughness. They want to be great. Um, you know, and those things are really, really important in our program: competitiveness, uh, basketball IQ, toughness. They fit what we're about, and we're we're really, really excited about them.
3: Well, Coach, I know how busy you guys are during the season, so I appreciate you making some time for us this morning. And uh, hopefully, maybe we'll get to talk to you again over the summer. That'd be great. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, our city, absolutely. And uh, good luck to you guys the rest of the season. Hopefully, we'll be seeing you guys dancing in March.
4: Sounds good. Thank you. I was
1: muted. Excuse me for that. There you guys have it. Like always, we'd like to thank Pat Kelsey for coming on the show. Um, I mentioned earlier that we had to reschedule. We were supposed to do this last week or two weeks ago. Um, unfortunately, some stuff came up, so he's nice enough and kind enough to let us reschedule. And I think it was a hell of an interview. Shout out to Phil as well. He did a great job of interviewing him, some great – um, insightful questions Phil that he asked. Phil
2: did a tremendous job, by the way. And yeah. what a great interview. Just listening to him for that 12 or 13 minutes, there's no doubt why a, a top player would want to go play for him. Like, And there's no doubt in your mind after listening to him to understand why the College of Charleston was ranked for a number of weeks more than likely, I'm sure they will get it back together following the loss to Hofstra. We'll get it back together and be a very dangerous team in the NCAA tournament. I mean, what a tremendous head coach, tremendous interview, seems a very like level-headed guy. Take away the coach part, just a very level-headed human being, and that that was great stuff. If you didn't learn something from that interview, then I don't know what you're listening you need to. You go back and double-check because that was good stuff right there.
1: Yeah, 100%. And like Phil mentioned at the end of the interview, I really hope that they can get into the tournament, and I really hope they win their league title this year. Hopefully, they really win the CAA Conference Tournament title this year because if they're anything... Because especially about that league, I mean, it's kind of a one big league, and if they don't win their conference title and they have to rely on an at-large bid, the committee don't really give a shit about what your record is because if they're in a bubble with... If, it's, if it comes down to a Charleston and Kentucky for like the last spot in the tournament, Kentucky's getting that shit. It doesn't matter You're what right. Kentucky's done. Doesn't matter what Kentucky's record is. Gets quad one, quad two. Doesn't matter if Kentucky and Charleston or either Indiana if they're in that list. They're gonna go with Indiana. They're gonna go with Kentucky almost every single time. Well, I
2: just seen a screenshot of the twenty. I think it was the twenty nineteen NCAA tournament. And the university, UNC Wilmington, was something like 27 and 4 or 28 and 4 and got left out of the tournament.
3: Yeah. It's-
2: Insane. So he knows that you got to take care of business, get the AQ, get the automatic qualifier, and don't leave it up to the fate of the committee. But man, they're really good, and they're good enough, I think,
1: with the right matchup, they can win a game in this tournament. Oh, 100%. They got the talent and they got the depth to, to beat any team in the first round and potentially make a, a St. Peter's type one like they did last year. But like we mentioned, hell of an interview. Um, let's go and get into some of these games that transpired, especially yesterday. The big game of the week so far has been the rematch. Revenge Kansas Kansas State round two the Sunflower Showdown I think that's what it's called. Kansas yeah. lost the first first game in Man in the almost at the Manhattan Center, but in the Octagon Dune. <laughs> they lost in overtime 83 to 82. Well I think General Wilson and Bill Self was pissed off about that because they came into the fog and beat the living shit out of Kansas State for pretty much the entire game. Kansas dominates Kansas State 90 to 78. Before we get into this game though, let's talk about that atmosphere. Because there was talked about it on Twitter. A lot of Kansas fans were saying, like, this fuck, this fucking place was insane. And I was talking about how it was, like, before the tip-off, like, it was up to 120 decibels before the tip-off even happened. Jay Billis was on the call, and he was talking about, it, like, I'm glad Kansas State won this opening tip because my ears are ringing right now. Um, they were talking about how loud it is. Like, that atmosphere, man, is normally good, and doesn't matter who we play. But when you get a rivalry and a big-time top-ten matchup like this and a, a revenge game with that, this fog out is just it's a place like no other, man. That atmosphere is ridiculous.
2: Well, Bill has said it live on air last night as well. He said you can stack up you know, Cameron Indoor or whoever, but when the fog is rocking and in prime, there's no harder place to play at for an opposing team than Fog Allen. And I definitely think that's true. And Peyton looking ahead at the game, um, the difference for, you know, we were talking last week, Kansas on a three game losing streak heading into Kentucky. Now the focus is, in my opinion, is the reemergence of help for Jalen Wilson. Cause Jay will is going to do what he does. He had 20 points in this game, but Dewan Harris, 18 points, Kevin McCuller, 16, you know, KJ Adams 8, Dick 9, everybody who played scored in this ballgame. So the fact that Jay will is getting some help is what has made Kansas all of a sudden kind of reemerge from that three-game slump and is what's going to honestly propel them come March to another run at a back-to-back championships. You've screamed it. We've all screamed it. Jay will can score as many points as he wants, but if he doesn't have help, it doesn't matter a whole lot. But if he's getting DeWan Harris and McColler to help him out, then Kansas is back to cooking.
1: It's not only that, but beginning of the season we used to talk about how thin Kansas is in the front court, correct? We was talking about their front court trouble and how they don't have anybody in the front court to really um, to really impose their will down low. Well, I think that's starting to shift a little bit. Because we got some guys on our front court that's starting to play damn well. KJ Adams is obviously number one on our list. Ever since that Tennessee game, he's picked up some numbers. And he's put up some great performances on both sides of the floor. Offense and defense. So he's stepped up tremendously. Before he got injured in the Kentucky game, Zuby Edgiford was coming off with some solid-ass minutes um, coming off the bench. And I mentioned the Kentucky game before he tweaked his ankle. He was playing very well, and he was doing his best trying to guard Oscar Chibre. Obviously, that's a tough task for him to do, but I think he did the best of his abilities. And he's played well, so he's starting to show up. And once he comes back healthy, I think he can be a big-time player. And then, especially in the Kentucky game, and especially in this Kansas State game, coming off the bench, Ernest UD Jr., played big minutes in this game. The stats might not show, because he only had four points, but, we he only had three points, excuse me, but he had six rebounds. He wasn't foul trouble, played ten minutes. his
2: presence. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off, and I'll let you get back to it, but it's just, it's not for him and a guy like Zach Clemens either. It's not their box score. It is their presence at 6'11 and 6'10 respectively. Holding their own, giving some type of size and resistance, that is what they're there for. The box doesn't matter as much for these guys it is their presence and what they're able to do to help this team
1: I thought the big factor coming into this game was one. Harris came out aggressive early. He had 18 points. He tied his career high of the seat of his career. 18 points, 7-12 from the field. But he came out just firing. We talked about it about a couple weeks ago, especially in this first matchup against Kansas State, about how he wouldn't be aggressive enough. He's a little bit too pass heavy. Well, that changed in this one. It changed in the Kentucky game as well. He came out firing. He had the first points of the game in the Kansas State. They sagged off in a little play. He just busted a three, left them wide open, we go up 3-0, hit a couple threes in this game. And i tell you what, man, if DeWarren Harris is hitting shots, explain to me how you guard this Kansas team.
2: Well, at 6'8", we've seen he's got an array of moves. He can beat you off the bounce. His three-point shooting ability is increased a lot. He went four of nine in this game last night. And he can play in either the high post or back you down on a smaller guy in the low block. Uh, he's got a very complete game. He has taken it to a new level, which we begged for in the offseason because he needed to make that jump. And he, he's an all-around scorer. He can, like I mentioned, he gets scored every single level right now. And he's become a matchup nightmare for opposing teams to try to defend.
1: I think if anyone's going to catch up to Zach Eadie in the national play of the U.A., I think Jalen Wilson's the guy to do it. Because like you just mentioned, how do you go him? I mean, if he's hitting shots, how do you guard him? Well, you're going to sag off. Guess what? He's going to bust a three in the eye. He's, I don't think you mentioned it. He's great in transition as well. Get him the re- Give him off, a defense rebound and just let him go coast to coast, and he'll make the right play. And he's tough to guard. He hits his free throws well. He does everything well offensively. He's just a load that you cannot stop him if he's hitting shots. If he has an off-shooting night, then maybe you can make him into a driver and pit the ball on the floor. But if he's hitting shots like he has been in these past like four or five games, Man, Coy, Jalen Wilson's tough to guard if he hits shots.
0: I I don't know if you guys know this or not. Jalen Wilson's really good at basketball. And I think it was a public service announcement yesterday on uh, the Twitter. But, uh, no, he's absolutely dangerous. I mean, and that's the thing you kind of mentioned right there. He can do a little bit of everything. He can, you know, he can dish the ball if he needs to. He can dribble drive and kick, he can shoot, he can do, you know, he can finish in the lane, he can do pretty much anything he can to really separate himself out and kind of help out, uh, help Kansas really kind of dictate the game, especially. I mean, last night, he didn't really have his best shooting performance, but he still sat there and made baskets and made made things count when it needed, so. And how about
2: the Jayhawks? How about... Go ahead. Go, Go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, Skirt. Go ahead. You're the leader of this one. Yeah, I'm the host. Back off here for a
1: minute. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the impact for Kevin McCullough in this game. How good was he? The first game, no points. He found out no points at all in the first game, in the first matchup against Kansas State in the Octagon of Durham. He had no points. This game, he had 16 points, 13 rebounds. That's his third straight double-double. He's getting it done offensively, and defensively, he's the leading steal man in the Big 12 Conference. I don't know how many steals he's averaging per game, but I know he's leading the steal category for the Big 12 Conference this year. And he's just been amazing in these last Pretty much the whole season, he had a couple of games stretch against Kansas State and against uh, TCU where he did not play well. But if he's hitting some shots and he can really impact the game defensively like he's been doing, he's great. I love Kevin McCullough. He's so huge for this Kansas team, what we're trying to do on both sides of the ball.
2: Yeah, and he had the second highest uh, offensive rating percentage last night. Uh, really, in my mind, I, I'm sorry, third. But really, in my mind, the number one, because no offense to Bobby Pettiford, who played 13 minutes, and Ernest Uday played 10 minutes. I mean, McCuller played 30 minutes in this game. He had an offensive rating percentage of 128, which is very high in this ball game. And he did foul out. But, you know, you talk about 16 points. He had 13 rebounds, four assists. This is who he is. We've seen it at Texas Tech. We've seen it earlier in the year. If Kansas gets production with guys like McCollum and Dewan Harris specifically to help out Jay Will, like I mentioned, Kansas can go back to back. Peyton, my one fear still remains with Kansas. And I was talking with our, our dear friend Johnny today about Kansas. Raving about them now that they've kind of flipped the script and figured things out after the losing streak. The one concern still is Jay Will is going to get his points. He's going to get you 20 to 35 points a night. That's pretty much a given. But what happens in the tournament if he does not get help consistently, all it takes is one bad night. But if they get the help like this, spread the love around, Kansas is good enough to go back to back. And by the way, how about the Jayhawks? 11 of 27 from three, if you round it up, 41% from three. That is blistering the Nets from deep.
1: Yeah, well, that's what my next point was going to talk about. I think it came down to the reason why Kansas won this game, especially why they put up 90 points on Kansas State. It comes down to three things to me. Uh, 21 points off turnovers for Kansas, especially early in the game. We were getting out of transition, and, we're, we're, and, we're, and when we are in transition, we're tough to beat because it allows guys like Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick to hit some shots and get open. Jalen Wilson, or uh, excuse me, um, Kevin McCullough is allowed to get to the rim. KJ Adams is a lob threat. So once we get into transition, What tough to beat and 21 points off turnovers for Kansas was Definitely so good for us uh, 21 bench points. I mentioned Kansas bench past couple games How have we've not had any production coming off the bench Well, Kevin um Bobby Pettiford? You just mentioned he came off game gave us some solid minutes um, UD junior came up and gave us some solid minutes Zach Clemens hit a big-time three When we was making our run to really stretch the lead out Jordan Yesufu came out and hit some shots 21 bench points if we can get about 10 bench points every game that will help us out, and it would take the load off Jalen Wilson, so he don't have to go get 30 a night like we talked about a week ago. And you mentioned Alaska, 11 to 27 for the three point line, blitz them from three. Complete the opposite of what happened in the first game, where we struggled to hit any shots outside the beyond the arc. Well, this game we started off hot, and everyone is eating. Clemens hit a three, Harris hit one, Jalen hit like I think five of eight from three. Glady did hit a couple, even though he struggled with another offshoot. Night, but he was doing what he could to get some shots. If Kansas is hitting, man, this tough. This team's tough to beat.
2: Well, a couple other points: uh, Kansas State 13 turnovers. Of those 13, eight were steals by the Jayhawks. Very reminiscent of the Indiana game back in December, where Indiana had 23 turnovers. And what was it, like 17 were steals for Kansas. So Kansas very good at turning the opposition over and converting them into steals. The other thing, I do want to give some love to K-State because I don't think they played bad necessarily. We talked about when we previewed this game on Sunday, you know, would Desi Seals get 24 again? Probably not. He had seven. But I did mention I thought Marcus Noel and Keontae Johnson would show up. Both of them, Noel 23, Johnson 22 with 12 rebounds. As good as backcourt as you're going to find in the country, they've just got to have, I mean, Tomlin had 11, uh, Gusen had 10, but you, you still need more balance or you need one of your key guys to completely go off. I, I didn't think Kansas State played bad. I just thought it was more of Kansas played very good in this ballgame. And Peyton, I desperately want to see the rubber match in the Big 12 tournament.
1: Oh, this isn't going to be the last time these two teams face off this year. They're going to match up. It might be in the Big 12 Conference Championship game in Kansas City. Can you imagine how nuts that game's going to be in Kansas City, the Rebel match? My God, that will be so entertaining. Hopefully it happens, but I agree. Kansas State, I mean, they did, like you mentioned, they didn't play bad in this game. Just Kansas was just pissed off, and they were motivated, and they were ready to make a statement, and they did. Uh, Monkeys, Snow, talk about him, 23 points. He had five turnovers though. Your Sony point Portland had five turnovers. Never good. Um but hats off Kansas State. They're still a good ass team. It's just tough loss for them. Corey, you got anything to add to that?
0: No, I think you guys covered it. Oh, no, yeah, I mean, you're no, absolutely No, it was a great win for Kansas. <laughs> so Yeah, no, you're absolutely right.
2: Absolutely. Like, Move. Good
1: game. Moving on, though. Sticking with Koi. What the hell happened last night? Let's move on to your boys. IU takes a tough loss. We mentioned a Sunday how this game could potentially be a trap game because they got a big one tonight on Saturday against Purdue. But IU loses to Maryland 66-55. I'm going to be honest. I didn't get to watch this game at all. I was keeping up with it a little bit, but I was mostly, uh, mostly watching, obviously, the Kansas-Kansas State game. And just looking at the stats here, I mean, TJD had one of those games where he got another double-double. 18 points, 20 rebounds. Malik Renew had 6 points, but he fouled out out, um, shooting, you guys didn't really shoot the ball well, but Jalen Shafino, three points, one of 14 from the field, and I just mentioned about Marquise Noel turning the ball over. Well, Jalen Shafino turned the ball over, he had four turnovers, four assists. He had the same amount of turnovers as he did assists, and that's never a good recipe. Talk to, about, talk to us about what happened in Maryland last night.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Indiana came out strong uh, to start the game off. Maryland came out in a 2-3 zone and Indiana attacked and looked uh, a lot more confident uh, facing a zone than they have in uh, a very long time. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, under immediate timeout, Maryland just switched things up. They started trapping the post after a dribble or really collapsing down hard. And they mixed up their looks every single possession. Uh, They, you know, they just rotated extremely well. They communicated well. And uh, the passing and ball movement on the offensive end for Maryland was just very, very pristine. Uh, They had Indiana almost looking like they're in a blender, just getting spun all over the place and couldn't keep up. Uh, Rotations were off. Uh, It was just lackluster play to start off, or to kind of dwindle down the first half. Maryland got on a run. Uh, Coming out in the second half, Indiana made a little push to get back in it. Uh, Tamar Bates had that uh, fragrant one foul. That ultimately end up giving uh, Maryland a four-point possession, spread it out to six, and and just never really had a response after that. Uh, the momentum swing kind of really shifted, and I mean, no, I can say Maryland. Maryland did a phenomenal job uh, executing. I mean, they it's a reason they, uh, you know, they're 100, you know, are undefeated still at home, and have the longest uh, home winning streak in the Big Ten against Big Ten opponents because they absolutely dominated this game and they're uh, with their game plan. And, uh, I mean, they well-deserved win for them. Uh, nothing, nothing to take off, but Indiana just did not have their game. Uh, you know, I hate to blame referees, but there's some tic-tac calls, uh, some calls on one end that weren't called on the other end, some things that just kind of dictate or change them, uh, the swing of the game I thought also, uh, but you, you named it also Malik Renault or new, um, picked up some horrible fouls, just, just was, you know, boneheaded plays of fouling guys underneath the opposing goal and just things like that to kind of really separate the game out and kind of got us into a, you know, a hole. And honestly, not having Xavier Johnson was a huge loss. Also, uh, as you mentioned it, um, Jalen Josefino just did not shoot the ball. Well, did not look comfortable, had pressure, uh, turned the ball over. I mean, through, through a pass, right to, you know, right to Maryland's chest for a wide open you know, transition play to, you know, multiple things that just kind of dictated the game and not having Xavier Johnson, this is the one game I can say really, really dictated that and hurt us.
2: Corey, uh, Trace Jackson Davis continues his assault on trying to catch up to Zach Eady for the national player of the year race. He goes for 18 points, 20 rebounds, another 20 rebound effort. I continues to play phenomenal. You mentioned not a whole lot of help. The only other double-figure scorer was Race Thompson. You also mentioned the foul discrepancy. Maryland shot 29 free throws. I go 25 of 29 for 86% from the foul line to Indiana's 10 of 12 for 83%. Both teams hit their free throws. The 17 free throw discrepancy, Uh, do you think that was warranted? Was Maryland the aggressor to deserve those? Was it the calls or was it a mixture of both as always?
0: Honestly, there's a lot of times that, I mean, Maryland really did attack downhill well. Uh, Indiana, I thought on the other side of it, had some opportunities where they got fouled in the lane or, uh, I mean, Trace Jackson Davis got bumped or, you know, just a couple times and, you know, the the refs kind of let things play on. There's also some foul calls, you know, with hand checks and stuff like that. Uh, There's one blatant miss that I saw uh, that they showed the video numerous times. And, I mean, the commentators, I mean, Robbie Hummel, uh, who's a Purdue guy, even said, like, that's just horrible officiating. Like, they flat out missed that. So, um, you know, but, no, both teams shot the ball extremely well at the free throw line, which is something that, you know, Indiana doesn't always do well. But, um, no, I think think Maryland was definitely the aggressor, though.
2: Hey, fellas, how much do you think – we talked about it on Sunday on episode 133. How much do you think Indiana got caught –
1: looking ahead
0: late into this go ahead coy i on i honestly like i i don't think indiana really was looking that far ahead i think i think they just didn't have they didn't hit the shots and didn't didn't really know how to handle maryland changing the looks uh you know josh you and i have talked about it kind of at the gym that a lot of teams don't really change the, the pressure on TJD and Maryland absolutely did that, and you know Maryland Maryland guards rotated extremely well. The ball movement, like I said, was great, and I think Indiana just, I mean, they're in a tough environment. The place was absolutely rocking, and I just don't think they were, you know, they really had the answer. And I think I think they started out missing some shots and you know uh, some forced plays and stuff like that, trying to make things happen. That just weren't there, and I think that's what diff- What was the biggest differential in this
1: game. Yeah, I agree with Coy. I don't think, I think you can chalk this one up, as IU just had an off-night shooting. Uh, we mentioned in the past how they've shot the wall pretty well from three. This game, they really didn't, and Let's be honest, Jalen Hitchfino is not going to go 1-14 of 14 from the field for probably the rest of the season. Not going to see that type of game again, especially with four turnovers. So chalk this one up as they just didn't hit shots and they just had an off night. Moving on, though, let's go to Cayman Indoor. Duke holds off Wake Forest 75-73. Kyle Filippowski had a double-double, 16-11. Jeremy Roach was unconscious in the game, especially early on. 21 points for him. Parker was 17 Duke holds off in a tough one against Wake Forest. Duke still without Duke Whitehead. Talk to me about this game.
2: Yeah, just real quick, uh, Wake Forest. I think it's what twenty-four years now in a row that they have not won in Cameron Indoor Stadium. It has been since Tim Duncan was at Wake Forest, so it's going to go another year longer without a win in Cameron. Yeah, I, yeah, I actually predicted that Wake Forest would win this ball game and they definitely had their opportunities. Tyree Appleby is phenomenal. He's an all-ACC type player this year coming over from Florida. But Filipowski just continues to stay solid, and Jeremy Roach, 17 points at halftime. Phil has mentioned it all year, who somebody has seen Duke many, many times in person. If Jeremy Roach is good, Duke can be good. But if Jeremy Roach is bad, Duke will struggle, You got good Jeremy Roach last night, and the Blue Devils got a much-needed home victory.
1: Yeah, they definitely needed that because now they got Carolina coming in Saturday, and you definitely don't want to come back, especially you don't want to come off of losing to Wake Forest in your home building when you have got Carolina coming into the same place that you potentially lost in. So, not a good, definitely got the game done. Hopefully, good thing that they won the game before they got to play Carolina. Moving on, though. Tell you what, I don't know if there's more pissed-off team in the country last night than Alabama was. 101-44 that they blitzed Vanderbilt. They were up 80-32 to 32 with nine minutes to go in the second half. Completely beat the shit out of Vanderbilt. Talk to, about, talk to me about this game. Oh,
0: absolutely Corey. unreal. I mean, they officially... They officially woke the bear right there because that was just an absolute dominating, you know, game. Brandon Miller went for 22 points was six of 13 from three. Alabama shot 19 to 41 from three and shot 40 or 59% overall from the floor and scored 58 points in the second half alone to single-handedly outscore Vandy in the entire game. And that half alone, it was just absolutely, they dominated every single part of the game. They made, they look like the absolute most athletic team there is in basketball from what we saw right there. I mean, NBA scouts had to be raving about what they just saw there. It was, I mean, Vanderbilt didn't even look like they should be on the court. It was also the second largest victory or uh, margin victory in NCAA basketball this year. And the last one was uh, a power five versus small major. So it was just absolutely unreal.
2: Note to self, do not piss off or doubt Alabama. They are so good. And they took all those frustrations from that lost Oklahoma and hearing all these different fan bases talk all this crap about them. And they absolutely took Vandy to the woodshed. I mean, it was over 10 minutes into the game. It was absolutely yeah. done and dusted. And they did not let off of them. Just absolutely insanity. And they let country know a quick reminder that we are for real and we can win the whole damn thing. And what an impressive performance by the Crimson Tide.
1: All it took was a trip down to normal Oklahoma and they f- came out firing and just beat the shit out of Andy. Um, if I'm near Oates, I'm fighting a way before every game to piss them off every single time. That way they can keep on doing this and keep a performer like this. Moving on, going to the Big 12. Yo, if that's uh, what it
0: takes, I'm set. Go ahead. I was going to say, if I'm Nate Oates, I'm, I'm walking up sack at somebody. Like, I don't care what it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm pissing at someone's Cheerios. Like, let's go. Like, come on. Like, it, that's all that's it, takes, it takes,
1: man. That's all it takes. Moving on to the Big 12, we got a couple games to talk about just real quick, real briefly. Texas knocks off Baylor 76 to 71 in the Moody Center. Texas, big win against Damn. Baylor was hot coming into this game. I predicted Baylor was going to win. They did not. Texas, big win I for said them. I Texas,
2: baby. I yeah, said it. Hook them, you don't hook go them in the Moody. Hey, you don't go in the Moody Center, man. That is a legitimate
1: tough ass place to play. Now. Oh yeah, it's definitely up there from one of the toughest places to play out in college basketball this year. And but. hey, Peyton, it just stirs the pot of the Big Twelve just a little bit more. Oh, every night it's a damn roadkill. kill. I mean, it's a bus saw. So you gotta play well if you want to win these games, especially on the road. Um, Moving on, though, speaking of the road, Texas Tech comes back and beats Iowa State. Gets their first win in conference play. They were 0-8 before this game, and they were down, I think, 15 points at one point. Had to scratch and claw their way back. To be played double advocate, Iowa State was out with, without uh, Caleb Glow in this game, but still, even with them, I don't know if they win this game. Hats off to Mark Adams in Texas Tech gets their first win. I don't know what the score was. I don't even care because that's all that matters. Red Raiders gets the job done, beats Iowa State.
2: Yeah, uh, you know they've won two in a row now. They beat LSU over the weekend in the Big Twelve SEC Challenge, beat Iowa State in overtime, eighty to seventy-seven. Uh, not a whole lot of crowd for this game. It seems like um, some turmoil definitely down in Texas Tech after a frustrating year. But man, it's just, it goes to show. You never know in conference play. And Iowa State came in and tuck an L, which really hurts them to win the conference now. But they have a big opportunity on Saturday.
1: Yeah. And to any Texas Tech fan or Red Raider fan out there, they're saying that they need to fire Mark Adams. Fuck off with that shit. That's two Coy. I'm keeping track. That's two f bombs I've dropped so far in this show. I'm doing well. So if you made that bet with Josh, you would lose. Go ahead, Josh. Hayton, real quick, real quick, before we
4: move oh, on, because I, I know we. Under.
2: Hey, I know the midweek show
1: is supposed to be a little, uh, little
2: shorter. So I- real quick, Kentucky went into Ole Miss last night. Not a whole lot of fans in attendance because of the ice storm. Uh, Big Blue Nation always gets in. You heard at the end of the game uh, over the audio on the TV. Uh, Go Big Blue, champ! But shout out to antonio reeves man he is a walking bucket 27 points six of seven from the three-point line uh jacob toppin with 18 Uh, oscar kind of a quiet night he ended up with 14 and 11 in this game but antonio reeves he's the guy and no case on wallace in this game he had like a knee bruise or whatever they said a contusion Xavier willard bangs his ankle up comes back and plays a good game four points nine assists Four rebounds, one turnover, literally at the very end. You know, CJ Frederick's still not hitting, barely played at all in the second half. But Antonio Reeves is a walking bucket getter. They need him to be that guy. But Kentucky bounces back with a nice win on the road against a struggling Ole Miss team.
1: Yeah, definitely needed that one. Let's go ahead and move on to some of these previews. I mentioned it on the show, top of the show. It's Rivalry Week this, year, or this week. And let's start off with probably the best game of the Saturday slate. Let's start off with the rivalry around our where we're from. Number one, Purdue goes at number 21 ranked Indiana. This is according to ECB polls, by the way, so don't get confused with the AP. Um, what we do is correct. What they do is wrong. And what, what a college basketball does is incorrect as well. They copied off of us, just saying. Uh, but big time, first matchup of this, of this rivalry, Purdue goes at Indiana. Indiana is coming off a loss. Purdue is coming off of a dominant performance against Michigan State Sunday night. Let's talk about this game. Josh, what you got?
2: Well, we mentioned, I do want to believe, Sunday in episode 133, talking about potential trap games and all this other stuff. Um, Indiana fell victim to their trap game last night at Maryland. Purdue's got one tonight on Wednesday evening at home against Penn State. You know, I talked about on the Facebook group. If Purdue does not lock in and defend the three, Penn State can knock them off. They're the perfect team the way they shoot the three. They hit as many as anybody in the nation and percentage-wise. That's a dangerous trap game, but this is this is the game of the weekend. I know we got another big one to talk about as far as rivalry goes. This is the big one, and it's finally back to its prominence with both teams being ranked and being pretty good. Um, Ken Palm has Purdue losing this game. Or I'm sorry, has Indiana losing this game 71-70. We all know all about Purdue. Their offense, their defense is now getting better. They're now 17th in the nation in defense with the number four ranked offense. Peyton, to me, it is still the question of how do you defend Zach Eady. I have theories of my own. I don't expect Mike Woodson to go zone ever. So talking again to our mutual friend, Johnny Stroud, you know, member of the ECB family. I think to beat Purdue, you have to speed them up and you have to focus in on everybody else. Because if you match up 1v1 versus Zach Eady, you're going to lose that every time. Because there is no Shaq figure in this game to stop him. So if you try to match him up 1v1, you're going to lose. I make Purdue's other kids beat you. I know Purdue shoots pretty well. They uh, What are they from three? Well, actually, they're not shooting that well from three. I, it seems like they hit more than what their percentage shows. They only are shooting 33%, which is 209 in the nation. I, I, I make the freshman beat me. I make Brandon or Braden Smith and I make Fletcher Lawyer beat me. I, I Anytime Edie gets the ball, if you're going to play man, ver, man to man against him, I'm throwing immediate doubles. I know he passes out well, being at 7 4, but I am daring Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith and guys like Brandon Newman to just beat me by shooting the long range shot. I, I'm giving them 25 threes because you got to pick your poison, right? So you either let Edie dominate you. Or and then pick you apart, which is the absolute worst. Or you say, Edie, you get yours, and we're going to re- make the freshmen in the backcourt beat us. That's how I play if I'm Indiana. Indiana obviously has to take care of the basketball. Hit their threes that they do take. We've mentioned they don't take a lot, normally like 11, 12 a game. You're going to have to hit a high percentage in this game. Trace is going to have to stay out of foul trouble in this game because Edie draws a ton of fouls against opposing bigs and pull him away from the rim somehow. Um, I'm not going to give a prediction just yet because I want to hear your thoughts on all that, but I think that's the keys to victory. For kind of both teams, if I'm Indiana, though, I make, downright make and dare Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, Brandon Newman, Ethan Morton, those players to beat me. I do not allow Zach Eady to have a 30 and 25 game, plus the role players have big nights. It's got to be one or the other and I make the freshman beat me.
1: Now you said something that just caught my attention. You said that Indiana can't or doesn't need to let Zach Eady go for however he wants to go to or dominate the game. There is no letting. He is going to dominate the game, period. Doesn't matter if you key on him or you key on Braden Smith, Fletcher Law, if you key on the shooters. Doesn't matter what you do defensively. He is going to dominate this game. He is the difference maker, he is the anchor down low, and you're not. Not going to be able to stop him, no matter what you do. No matter if you go zone, you play man-to-man, you double the post, you triple team him. It does not matter. He's going off. He's going to get about 20 and 15 in this game, maybe more. That's a given for me. I, I don't see a way, and this might seem harsh, but I don't see a way that IU wins this game unless they hit, like, 18 plus threes. Which I'm not going to do, because they don't even shoot that much. You hit them that much. I don't and the think reason is. To hit 18. Team. No, the, well, the reason is because last year, let's look at last year's game. TJD was a non-factor. He had four points, played 11 minutes. He was in foul trouble. What's to say he's not going to get in foul trouble in this game as well? Let's also remember oh, Xavier Johnson. Oh, he's
2: definitely in foul trouble.
1: Xavier Johnson. They don't win this game last year without Xavier Johnson and Wild Fantasy. Fantasy came off the bench, had 20 points. David Johnson had 18 points. Guess what? You don't have Xavier Johnson this year in this game. Guess what? Well, Rob Fantasy ain't there.
2: Hold on. I'm betting my chips on the table that X is back for this game. I I would not be shocked if he's not back. Well, even if he's only 70%, that still helps.
1: Yeah, but if Purdue's physical, they're going to get him in foul trouble. They're going to go after him. I think that's a liability, especially defensively. I don't think he's going to be able to keep up with guys like Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith. I don't think, if he's not 100%, I don't think you bring him back. Not for this one game. So, there goes him and it's going to rely so much on Jalen Hitchfino that he has to have a good game. He has to take care of the ball too, and they got to hit shots. I don't like this matchup for IU. I think Purdue pretty much dominates this game. I don't think they blow them out by any means because it's a rivalry game. We all know in rivalry games, anything can happen, but in the end, or Purdue, they're undefeated on the road. They have not lost a single game going on the road, and that defines a good team from a great team. Any good team can win in their home building, but it takes a great team to go on the to take the show on the road and win at opposing teams of buildings and this is what purdue is going to do purdue is going to win this game i think it's going to be somewhat low scoring i think purdue wins this game 74 to 65 purdue wins this game and they dominate
2: here's my thoughts i think if you're indiana you've got to i mean we had a great comment i can't see who it is on the on our end because it's just a Facebook user back up. They say I think IU needs to force turnovers to get out and transition. Purdue half court defense with Edie in the middle is tough. Absolutely right. But here's Indiana. You have to pull Edie away from the rim. And you know, Trace won't do that. So Race Thompson has to be a guy that hits some threes in this ball game. I think if you're IU, your goal needs to be small goals throughout the course of the game. Meaning at each media timeout, be within earshot. Never let this game get out of control. Purdue hasn't really had to play from behind a lot. So make them play from behind if possible. But if not, be within that five, six point range at every TV timeout. And if you are, that means the under four minute timeout, four minutes to go in the game or less, you are within a couple possessions. Then the heat gets on. Purdue because Assembly Hall is one of the best environments in college basketball as far as atmosphere, loudness, everything. If Indiana is leading or within five or six points at the under four media timeout, Purdue will start to tighten up or at least feel the pressure. I like Indiana in the upset in this game. There's something special about Assembly Hall. I do think Purdue gets taken to the wire tonight with Penn State. And I think Indiana, obviously, have to hit shots, have to take care of the basketball. But there's going to be one of these special moments where a guy like Hood Shafino or a Tamar Bates is my key. I think Tamar Bates could be the guy that unlocks Purdue's defense. I could easily see him having like an 18, 21-point game, five or six threes in this game. There is something in my gut that's telling me Indiana knocks off Purdue at Assembly Hall for the second year in a row. I'm going Hoosiers, hitting enough threes, Taking care of the basketball and making things ugly for Purdue. And of course, TJD is going to have a big game in this one, another 2020 type ball game because he has to. Um, and you run ED to death. Indiana has to push the action. Indiana wins this ball game 81 to 77. I'm confident about that. I, I just think, especially off the loss, I, there's something about it. I think Indiana in this one matchup has this stuff to beat Purdue.
1: Coy his prediction, your prediction is very close to what Koy's is. Koy has Indiana winning 81 to 74. Listen, I'm gonna be honest, I think Indiana can do it. I just I'm not feeling too good about them coming off of a loss against Maryland where they only scored 55 points. I mean, yeah, I mentioned earlier they had an off night shooting, but who's to say that Purdue's defense is top twenty in the country now. Completely different from last year's defensive team. Last year they didn't really defend, especially on the perimeter. Guess what? This year they do. And I think they're gonna lock Indiana up. They're going to make Indian and uncomfortable TJD. Uh, probably, I think he probably have a double-double. I don't think he's going to have like 20 and 10 or 20 and 15 like he's been doing the past like five, six games last couple of weeks. But I do think he'd get about maybe 15 and 12, 14 and 14, the, something like the, that.
2: The, the final point I want to make, and I'll leave it on this because I know we got to move on. By the way, the Facebook user, again, I'm sorry I can't see it. It just doesn't show on my end if you don't register. Uh, it's it's it Josh Swallows. Okay, Josh Swallows. I'd like to see a race play the second team more and play the five. He looks lost on O and D. I think he's going to have to have a good game in this. But I'll leave you on this point. We've talked all year about the advantage of home courts, especially this year. The win percentage is something crazy like 88 percent or whatever. Right. We mentioned a couple shows back. Think about Assembly Hall, how electric that building is going to be. Purdue has I know they've went to Michigan State and they've played some tough environments. But a lot of their big wins have came at home. Look at Marquette. Look at all these other games. Or on the neutral site. This is their first real massive road test that is going to be electric. It is a rivalry game. And how will the freshman backcourt? Specifically, again, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer. How do they handle this environment? I do think at some point they get rattled. Do something that's very uncharacteristic of them. Home court matters in college basketball. Indiana wins this game.
1: I, it's gonna be the game no matter what. I mean, I'm excited to watch it. It's definitely gonna be hyped, especially in our fan base, the ECB fan base. There's gonna be a lot of people watching this game, talking about it. It's probably I'm probably gonna pick up a game thread we haven't done in a yeah, while. It's our last big, year's it's our last year's game, year. yeah, last year's game thread broke our record. With like. 300 comments or whatever the hell it was. I don't even remember. But I know it broke a record and it smashed it. So I'm sure the game thread going to be a lot of hype. I'm sure Indiana fans and Purdue fans are going to be very hyped for this matchup. But I'm going to be honest. I think Purdue wins this game. And I think they take the air out of semi Hall very, very early. And I think they jump out to about a 10-4-1. Because especially in big games, and I know most of it's been on the road or a neutral site. But in big games, IU has not started the game off hot. Uh, and big games, so the you. So I think it's going to be another one of those games this time in the same hall. Either way,
2: I'm excited for it. I'm excited. Oh, I'm,
1: you're damn right. I'm excited for. Uh, excited for. I think it tips off at four o'clock on ESPN. Yep. Um, yep. Which I think that's a perfect time slot for me. It's not too late. It's not too early. It's a perfect game slot for a time slot for me. Let's move on to another rivalry. Let's go to the UNC Duke rivalry. We talked about Louisville and Kentucky. Um, about how that was the most least-hyped rivalry game, a rivalry matchup and I don't know how long. Uh, it's the same feeling towards this UNC-Duke game. I am not excited to watch this game at all. Um, the expectations of this was not uh, what you would think for this UNC-Duke rivalry. Uh, it's the first game that they faced off post-Mike Koszewski. Uh, it's going to be at Cameron Indoor. What's your thoughts on this? I'm sure Cayman Indoor's is going to be packed like it always is. But I'm sure it's going to be loud. But what's your thoughts on this game? Are you, like, what's your excitement level? One of ten.
2: For this matchup, for the first time in a long time, not very. Like, uh, North Carolina's ranked. They got back at at the ECB Top 25 last week. Uh, And I think they're hovering right around, like, 22, 23. I don't have the rankings in front of me. But Duke's not ranked. It, I know game day will be there because they always go there. I feel like it's obligated, but I don't care. Like, honestly, I, I don't care. And I know the the building will be electric. It's going to be end up being a fun game because the last 100 and whatever sixteen matchups, it's split. North Carolina's got the edge 56-55. I mean, it, it's going to be exciting, I guess. But anticipation, eh, it's kind of mild. I'm more excited for Indiana-Purdue. But game plan-wise, honestly, I think it comes down to backcourt play. Philipowski uh, will do his best against Baycott. Baycott will probably dominate that matchup. I think Filipowski can have some success, but I do think it comes down to backcourt because we mentioned it. Jeremy Roach, when he's good, Duke's good. If he's bad, Duke struggles. I think it's pretty simple. If you're Duke, you need to get a guy like Jacob Grandison to hit some big shots in this game. He doesn't have to do a lot. He's got to hit some shots, though, Um, and North Carolina's got to take care of the basketball. R.J. Davis has to be the primary point guard, not Caleb Love. Caleb, or C-Love, I'm sorry, has to be off the ball more. Take better shots. If Caleb Love can contain himself and not jack up 30-footers, Carolina is a good team. But I don't know if he's got that ability because he's got the green light mentality everywhere he goes and every possession. So I do think it comes down to the battle of backcourts and I got to give the edge to North Carolina in this, but it's also in Cameron indoors. So if Jeremy Roach is good and Duke can find a way to uh, negate Armando Baycott as best as possible, then Duke wins this game. If Carolina puts RJ Davis at the primary point guard, get good kale Bluff to not take so many bad shots and take care of the basketball. Carolina wins. But because it's in Duke, I do think Duke will shine more than they have all year. This will probably be the best Duke we've seen all year because of this game. So I, I'm going to say Duke. Probably, like I said, it'll be a close one, I'd imagine. So I will say Duke wins this in a exciting, entertaining game for a game I'm not really that hyped about right now. So, I'll say uh, prediction, Jeremy Roach goes for 25. We get a good version of Derek Lively, better than we've seen, probably a double-double. And I think Duke wins 85-79. to
1: I think it comes down to, like you mentioned with guard play, I think it comes down to shot-making for both teams. Both of these teams do not, do not shoot the ball well from three at all. Both of these teams shoot under three. from the three-point line. UNC shoots 31.8. Duke shoots 32.5. Not much better. And who's going to hit shots? Is it going to be Duke? And if they are, then I think it's going to really get Cameron Indoor, the Cameron Crazies really involved in this game. But if it's North Carolina, I think it's going to take the air out of the game in Cameron Indoor. It's tough, I think. Who do you key on more? Do you key on R.J. Davis or do you key on Caleb Love? Because I think if you key on Caleb Love, especially early on, I think you could take him out of the game. But if you key on R.J. Davis and you let Caleb Love open and he gets hot, I'm sorry, but he's probably going for 30 in that game if you let him get hot. If you let him wide open I- and he hits shots and he sees a couple going in, he might shoot 20, but he might make the majority of those shots because he has that type of ability to go off.
2: Could... Very much could. I. I don't. I, I. focus more on R.J. Davis. He has more ways to beat you because he's a. He. How should I put this? He takes. He's values the basketball more. Um. I, I dare Caleb Love, and I don't care if he makes the. Now, if he makes like two or three, then obviously you put more pressure on him. I dare him to shoot, because he could obviously shoot you to a win like he did the whole NCAA tournament, but he could also shoot you into a loss. And anything to keep Armando Baycott, the ball out of his hands, I dare Caleb Love. I I put a lot of pressure on R.J. Davis. I dare Caleb Love to beat me early. And if he's missing, it's the best thing for you because he's going to keep firing. Now, again, if he hits a couple in a row, then you adjust and play out. But I focus solely on R.J. Davis. Dare Caleb Love to beat me.
1: I think you're playing with fire. I think that's a... Definitely. But that's what you gotta it, do though. That's what you yeah, gotta do. Yeah, but let's not forget what he did to them the last time these two teams face off. He did but it in the final hand
2: almost thirty. He, he hasn't done that though really all year though. So why are we focusing on one game last year?
1: It wasn't just one Focus game, he on did it the, the whole he did it the whole tournament. He did it the whole but, tournament. He was going off for like thirty game for like thirty point games, twenty five plus.
2: You're, I know, and you're right. And I just mentioned he did in the tournament, but he's not really done that this year. So why are we worried about it? Focus on what he's doing now, and that is he's taking bad shots, he's not under control a lot, and he will shoot you out of a game.
1: But- I just,
2: I play right
1: into it. I play right into it. I guarantee you. You said it in the past, like you were fine, you're totally right. He has not played up to what he has in the tournament. He hasn't kept that same level of success that he did in the tournament. But you said it before and you say it again. You'll always say it. In rivalry games, anything can fucking happen. Anything. And he's that type of dude to go get you twenty five any given night if he gets going early. And if you let him with wide open looks if you give him wide open looks and he sees a couple of those buckets goes in, it doesn't have to be three pointers. It could be getting some mid range jump shots. It can be getting to the lane. The hell it can be even doing free throws. If you let him get off early, get going early. Excuse me, then you're in trouble. Like you were last year in the tournament. The let reason me, me he me beat him you, himself. Go
2: ahead. L- let me ask you this one last thing, and I'll leave it alone. Who would you rather die by? Would you rather Armando Bacot kill you? Because he's going to get your bigs in foul trouble and he dominates the paint. Or would you rather take a chance on Kale Bluff making and missing shots?
1: I'd rather be. Because, I, I think it's more. I think they got to get um, Amanda Bucquet at the ball more. But let's face it, if Kale Love's missing shots, Amanda Bucquet has a chance to get the offensive rebound. Now he's in great position to get, unless if it's wrong rebounds, he has great position to get some buckets.
2: You know, you're absolutely right. But the reason I say you sag off Caleb Love and dare him because if he's shooting the basketball, as long as you do your job to block out in Baycott, that is fewer touches. Baycott gets to kill you and get your bigs in foul trouble, which we know Duke is pretty thin in the front court. I, I'm sticking by my guns. Focus heavily on R.J. Davis. Dare Caleb Love to beat you.
1: I don't know why I'm arguing so much on Caleb Love because he's not even my big key for this game. I just feel like arguing because I think it's fun. It makes interesting TV. But I think the difference maker is, I think it's Pete Nance. I think you're right. What what does Pete Nance do in this game? Because he has the ability to stretch it out and hit shots. And if you have Derek Lively, if you have Kyle Filipowski on the floor and you have him going, same thing you mentioned with Zach Eady from Purdue, draw him out to the three-point line. Now, if Pete Nance is hitting some shots, he's able to draw guys like Filipowski out to the three-point line. He's actually able to draw um, Derek Lively to the three-point line. If you do that, I guess he's going to be wide open down low. Amondo Bukat. Guess he's going to have an open shot most of the time. Amondo Bukat. So I think Pete Nates is the answer for Carolina. I think North Carolina gets the job you done, we- though. They win three games in a row against Duke. Um, Carolina gets the job done. They hit some shots. Oh, hit enough shots to win this game. I think they win 75-70. to 70.
2: We didn't even mention Tyrese Proctor. If Proctor can get going, too, that's a huge key for Duke, especially in Cameron. If he takes care of the basketball and gets going early, that's a big key. Also, a guy like Jalen Blakes or Mark Mitchell uh, defensively could be one of those guys. I know they will be a little undersized going up against the um, uh, Pete Nance. I know they will be a little undersized, but, I mean, very interesting matchups. Very interesting.
1: And last, last thing I'll say, if it's a close game, a couple-possession game, and you need a bucket for Duke, who are you going to go to? Who are you going to go to? I mean, they don't have a go-to I, score. I, think, I, I don't think, I think they have Roach a go-to
2: is score. be the guy. I mean, no, that's fine. I, they don't. I, I think Roach has got to be the guy, though.
1: But who are you going to trust if it comes down to a game-time decision? Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust Jeremy Roach from Duke? Or are you going to trust guys like R.J. Davis from North Carolina? Or a guy like with Bacat? I think you're going to trust them more you would Jeremy Roach hitting a shot. Because I don't think Duke has a go-to score when it comes down to late-game stretches. They've tried to make Tyus Parker into that, but he's not capable of doing that. It's shown in the Virginia Tech game, and it showed in the Clemson game, that he's not able to take the game over when it comes down to late-game situations. Um... So I think they're in trouble if it's a late-game scenario and they need a bucket. I don't know who they're going to go to. That's my only question for them.
2: No, but, you're right, and it's going to be interesting, but we got to move on here.
1: Either way, let's go. i got my Jayhawks uniform on. Let's go. Oh, not my uniform, my hoodie one. Kansas, another once again, another big game for them. Kansas goes into Iowa State. Uh, number 7 ranked Kansas goes into number 16 ranked Iowa State. Iowa State has not lost a game in the whole building to start the year off. Big 12 implications for first place is on the line. Kansas won the first game, I think, by two points, a very close game in the fog. Um, keys for this game. Um,
2: It depends if Caleb Grill plays. I mean, that's a huge, huge loss if Caleb Grill does not play for a third consecutive game. You know... Uh, I'm sitting here going back and forth because Iowa State's shown that they can bounce back from a loss. They've got one of the best defenses in college basketball this year. Um, Kansas, we know about Jay Will. You know, speaking of Iowa State, they're 11th in defense or offense. They, they play a slower tempo type game. Iowa State actually lost two in a row because if you remember back on Saturday, they lost to Missouri. So they've lost the two games that Caleb Grill has been out with. Jaron Holmes is going to have to play very well in this game. So is Gabe Kalscher. They're going to have to play phenomenal. Uh, and it is at home. You know, they've been good at home. Have they, I don't? They've not lost at home yet. So it, it's going to be interesting. Can they slow Kansas down and play a half-court game? That'll be key. Again, will Caleb Grill play? That's going to be another key. Ken Palm has a well, one-point favorite for Iowa State in this game. But I just think the Jayhawks right now, I think they figured something out playing through Jay Will and getting better production out of guys like Dewan Harris and uh, Kevin McCollum. I got the Jayhawks winning this by a comfortable margin at the end, although I think it'll be tight. Give me Candace by seven.
1: I think the majority of the game is probably going to be close to about like a five-point margin. But I think Kansas, like you said, stretches it out late with some free throws and some late fouls. Uh, Kansas wins this game. They continue their hot streak. They've won two in a row now after losing three in a row. Um, like you mentioned, Kansas is starting to figure things, <laughs> figure some things out, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Front court starting to play a little bit better, so I can get a little more depth in our front court. And Jalen Wilson's is playing lights out right now. Kansas wins this game, I think, 78-70. to 70. Moving yeah, on, I... though, moving on to staying in the Big 12 Conference, we got number nine, Texas, going at number six, Kansas State. Uh, the Octagon of Doom is a very difficult place to play at. We talked about the Moody Center being difficult. The Octagon of Doom is right up there with them, and the fact that it's at the Octagon of Doom, it's at Kansas State, I'm more favor Kansas State to write the ship after losing to Kansas. Uh, Kansas State wins, I think, 77-73. to 73. Yeah, I mean, it's a home game, right? And the home teams we mentioned
2: have been very good in co- college basketball this year as a whole. So, yeah, I, I think this place is going to be electric. And it's a battle for the top of the conference. You know, Noel and Keontae Johnson, as good as backcourt as you're going to find, I can easily see them both going for 20-plus again. Uh, the the key, again, is who steps up for the third score. Is it Desi Sills? Is it, uh, you know, Tomlin or whoever? But I like Kansas State in this one, and I like them by six or seven in this one as well. I think Texas keeps it close. I think it comes down to the under four timeout, as I mentioned with Indiana Purdue keys. But I think at the end of the day, you're just not really going to win on the road in Big 12 play against one of the other high level teams. And it's been proven time and time again. So I'm going to go K State to win this.
1: Yep. As you like, Kansas say gets the job done, holds home court against Texas. Um, that's really all the games that we have to talk about. Uh, one thing that we forgot to talk about in the opening segment I forgot to mention, um, a game that's going to tip off in about 30 minutes. It's like 6 o'clock right now. Uh, Providence at Xavier. We talked about it a little bit Sunday. Uh, but Xavier, Zach Fremantle, one of the bigger, bigger players, one of the better players, is out for a month. I forgot what the significance of his injury Left was. Left foot
2: injury. Left, Left foot, foot, foot injury that was.
1: They're going to miss him for a month, and man, that hurts them down low, especially with his ability to hit some shots and stretch it out and his defensive ability to block some shots. They're going to miss him, and they got to play Providence tonight. I think I might switch my pick to Providence winning.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Bryce Hopkins has been a Big East Player of the Year type guy. But I'm staying with Xavier. I think Sean Miller knows that he has to get Jerome Hunter more involved to fill in that space until Zach Fremantle gets back. And I think overall they have more pieces than Providence does. I think Providence has been tremendous again this year defensively. We know the, uh, the Ed Cooley way. You're going to be tough. You're going to be physical. You know, Noah Locke and guys like that. But I think Hopkins can go off. I think Locke will shoot the ball pretty well. I still trust Xavier's backcourt. Sully, boom. Colby Mil- or Colby Jones. Uh, they still have Jack Nunge. I-, I like Xavier still in this game. But it does make it a lot harder challenge without a guy like Zach Fremantle.
1: Yeah, without a guy like Zach Fremantle, I mean, Boss Holmpe is going to get to the free throw in a lot easier now. He's going to keep pushing guys like Jack Nunn trying to get them in foul trouble. And there's nobody better in the Big East to get to the free throw line than Providence is, and I think that's going to be the key. And that's why I think I'm going to switch my pick to Providence winning a close one. Because Ed Cooley doesn't lose too many close games, especially this year. Uh, Ed Cooley's a damn man.
2: If it was in the AMP, I would switch. But since it's in the CentOS Center, I'm still going Xavier in this one.
1: Centaur Center is going to be rocking. I'm excited it's to, to watch electric. that. I'm, I'm it's going to be electric. I'm excited to watch that game in a little bit. As, as always, as you guys should it as well. Thank you guys so much for joining in. Sorry this episode went a bit, little bit long. We had that interview to play and... It's a rivalry race, so there was a lot to talk about this week. Um, Kansas, Kansas State happening yesterday, Indiana losing, IU produced Saturday. Obviously, North Carolina Duke this Saturday as well. There's a lot to talk about. Next week's episode will probably be under an hour long, or at least we'll try to keep it under that, um, depending on what happens. But. My name is Peyton. Josh is here. Coy was here, but he left. I don't know what he was doing. But he ended up leaving. Had to do some other shit. But catch you guys next time. Make sure you tune in Sunday. Get your picks in for the ECB weekly pickems. One of the hot ways. We all gotta try, try to catch Colton Henderson because he up. He's up ten points right now in second place. Can't allow him to win that. Especially an IU fan. Can't allow an IU fan to win our ECB weekly pickems this year. Can't happen. Damn it. But anyways, my name's Peyton. Josh for Coy, for Phil. Catch y'all next week, take care, and we out.